Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Um, I'm going to apologize right off the bat. There is a, a little bit of stuff going off, or going around in this, uh, uh, just outside the studio that I'm recording. There's some virtual reality stuff going on there, kind of playing around with that. So uh, hopefully that won't interfere too much, uh, but you may hear some people distantly talking in the background. That's all that's going on. Uh, one of these days I'm going to get set up so that I can record this on my own time in my own space, but um, we're still a ways out from that. But anyway, yeah, let's get right back into the into uh, learning from Alfred Hitchcock. Welcome to class. So we left off with Vertigo, but before cameras were rolling on Vertigo, Hitch had been contracted by MGM to adapt the novel that they had purchased the rights to. They partnered him up with, an, with a writer by the name of Ernest Lehman. Uh, the problem was Hitch and Lehman couldn't figure out how to adapt this novel. They just tried a lot of different approaches to the story, and nothing was really working. So after a while, Hitch says, let's just, let's just take a break from this idea. And they're just sitting around in the office talking, and, and Hitch starts bringing up ideas that he'd wanted to see in movies before. He, he's just kicking around some ideas that have been in his head. He tells Lehman about an idea he had for uh, for a murder at the UN, uh, at the United Nations in New York, where, um, you know, one guy would be up there, you know, giving his speech, and he says, and I won't continue until the, the delegate from, or the representative, or whatever, I don't even know the correct terminology, from Portugal or wherever, Peru, some country, you know, wakes up. You know, and the guy next to next to the delegate from Peru nudges him, and he slumps over in his chair, and there's a knife in his back. You know, and he also said that he he he'd always wanted to do a chase across the faces of Mount Rushmore. So, so Ernie Ernie Lehman, Ernie as he was known to his friends and colleagues, takes these ideas and starts crafting a story around them. Hitch goes off to shoot Vertigo. You know, they come back to these ideas and they're working on it and working on it. And through this collaboration of Hitch's, you know, creativity and these ideas that he has, Ernie is able to create a story around it. And he creates a script for one of Hitch's classics, one of his greatest films ever, North by Northwest, which if you haven't seen it, it's the story of an advertising executive who is mistaken for a CIA operative and is chased from New York to Mount Rushmore as he tries to figure out what the villains are after. This film remains iconic and classic to this day because it is so creative, because it takes what could have been a very tired old genre and just infuses it with an incredible amount of life. And that's really what, what I want to talk about today is, is Hitch's pursuit of thinking outside the box and avoiding the cliché. And just to, just to give you some of these ideas, there, there were other ideas that were in the script that didn't make it to the screen. For example... You know, speaking of that chase across the faces of Mount Rushmore, well, what they found out when they got to Mount Rushmore was that um, the United States government was not prepared at all for them to do that, and they were not having any of it. There was no way Alfred Hitchcock and his film crew were going to shoot something across the faces of, of these American heroes and on this monument. In fact, it... They weren't even allowed to shoot on the national park that Mount Rushmore sits on. So that immediately threw out one of the ideas that Hitchcock had had, which was that Cary Grant would climb up Lincoln's nose 
And while he was in there, he would have a sneezing fit. <laughs> it was a very Hitchcockian touch. So they had to figure out a different way to do it. And they couldn't even recreate it in the studio. The, 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 the government was not going to let, let them do that to the monument, even if it was a fake one. And so they, they ended up compromising where it was like, okay, well, you can do the chase at Mount Rushmore, not physically at Mount Rushmore, but, you know, back in the studio. But they need to be between the faces. They can't be on the faces themselves, um, which is kind of a petty thing to do. But that's whatever. We're not talking about that. We're talking about Hitchcock here, not the U.S. government. But another really, really good idea that I wanted to see him do that got thrown out was, was this scene that would have taken place in like a like a Ford factory in Detroit, you know. See, the the scene takes place. It, it's kind of a walk and talk, you know, where the characters walk along the assembly line, and as they go along the assembly line, you see in the background this car being constructed all the way from from the frame and you know and 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 the chassis and all that all the way up to a finished car. And then at the end, someone would open up the trunk of this newly manufactured car, and a body would fall out, um, which also is a very very Hitchcockian touch. Um, and unfortunately, that scene's not in the movie, which really bums me because that would have been so funny and so fun. But if you look at these ideas of his, this idea of, you know, let's have a chase across the face of Mount Rushmore. And while we're there, let's have our hero climb up, climb up Lincoln's nose and have a sneezing fit. And, you know, these kinds of things. Everything in there is to avoid the cliche. I'm going to take a step into one scene in particular. And if you haven't seen the movie... Um, this is a bit of a spoiler and, um, but it's such an iconic image. I feel okay telling you, but at the same time, if you don't want to hear it, feel free to skip on, um, you know, go watch the movie, come back, do whatever you want to do. It's your show. If you want to ruin the movie for yourself, that's cool, I guess. But here we go. So there's this crop dusting scene, right? Where the crop duster comes in and dusts the crops, right? And then all of a sudden the crop duster attacks Cary Grant, our hero. Well, that scene was was first created in Hitch's mind while he was just driving around Bakersfield. If you've been to Bakersfield, you know what I mean by just driving out uh, outside of Bakersfield because it was even smaller back then. And it's an agricultural town. You know, there's just fields of crops, you know. But the reason he specifically did it with a crop duster was to avoid the cliche. Because if you've seen the movie, then you know what I'm talking about. The scene is... Cary Grant is told, you know, he's to meet somebody who has the information, but the person who has the information is telling him, this is where you're going to meet me, this is when you're going to meet me, you know, this is how it's going to go down, right? And it, in, in, in movies, it's always a setup, you know? And, and, and because Hitch is a suspense filmmaker, we know it's a setup. <laughs> um, but here's what he says in, um, in the interview with Emerson Batdorf in the book Hitchcock Interviews. He says, it was a conventional f- configuration, standing a man on the spot. Now, what is the cliche? Stand on the street corner at night under a lamp in a pool of light, waiting. The cobbles are washed by a recent rain. You cut to a window and somebody peering out and the black limousine comes along. So I said, I won't do it that way. I'm going to do it in bright sunlight. No houses, no trees, nowhere to hide. I show a whole section of the countryside with nothing. A Greyhound bus comes along. Cary Grant gets off and stands there. Very high shot. I took it high to show the loneliness of the situation. Nothing happens. A car comes along, goes right by. Where's the menace coming from? Then another car. Then, of course, inevitably, I brought in the black limousine. 
and it went right by. And suddenly from a field from the very distant trees, not trees, it's really a field, he misspoke, a jalopy comes, a man gets out. The jalopy goes by, leaving a man on the opposite side of Cary Grant. Is he the menace? I'm making the audience think like hell. The man strolls across. He and Cary Grant speak. Suddenly the man says, that's funny. He looks across the field. That's a crop duster dusting a field where there are no crops. That moment the local bus comes and the man gets on before Cary Grant has a chance to question him. And Cary Grant's left alone. For my own emphasis, again. We spend seven minutes before, or something ridiculous like that, before he even gets attacked, just waiting in anticipation, because we know what's coming, but he doesn't. Back to the quote. With the strange, left alone, with the strange crop duster. Sure enough, it rises up, and suddenly, to his alarm, it's diving at him. And that's the scene. He takes all the cliches that could possibly be in a situation like this and just throws them right out the window, and then pulls one of them back the black limousine just to toy with the audience just to let us know yeah i know what you're expecting and it's not what you're gonna get now there's one other aspect of these things um of all these ideas that we're talking about that i want to bring up and it's a it's a brief review i won't take too much time on it but if you look at these ideas you look at Cary grant climbing up lincoln's nose and having a sneezing fit you look at putting a man out in the middle of a field and there's a crop duster in the background. You look at, you know, going to a car factory and seeing a car being built from nothing and then, boom, mystery, shock. How did the body get in there? You look at these things and you realize that all of these point back to something that Hitchcock felt very strongly about, that if you have a location or something inherent in a character, or whatever it may be, you have to utilize it dramatically. You have to weave it into the story somehow so that it actually has a function and isn't just set dressing. Again, in Hitchcock, in the book Hitchcock Interviews, he says, I believe in that same interview, I do, I do feel that if you have a background, just using it as a backdrop is not enough. You've got to do more with it. And he's speaking of using these locations, especially these exotic ones, these these ones that are are not, you know, urban environment site A or, you know, you know, generic suburban home, right? If you're going to take a guy to Mount Rushmore, you have to use Mount Rushmore. If you're going to take a guy to, or a girl for that matter, to just outside of Bakersfield, you have to use what's there just outside of Bakersfield. Um, everything has to have a function. Otherwise, it's just texture. It's just aesthetic and that's not very helpful because if if you can play the same scene in a field outside of bakersfield and in a suburb then you've done something wrong so yeah that's north by northwest um again i'm really sorry these are so short it's just that i've used so much oh no we're not done we're not done we're not done right okay there's one last thing that we need to talk about um because it is so crucial to this film, but it's also not. <laughs> um, and that's the MacGuffin, you know, because the MacGuffin is crucial to the film. But at the same time, Hitch has told us it's not crucial at all. It doesn't matter. Um, let me give a, a brief review on the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin is this idea that there is something in the story that the characters care a lot about that motivates all of their actions, but has no bearing or significance on the audience. We've talked a lot about uh, some MacGuffins in the past. 
in both of uh, the Man Who Knew Too Much films, it's the assassination. The characters care a lot about this assassination, um, but it has literally no bearing on the story for the audience. Um, and if you've seen those movies, you know what I'm talking about. And in this film, um, Hitch had gotten to a point where he made the MacGuffin the absolute smallest he ever did, both literally, I think, and and figuratively, dramatically. Um, because what he realizes is that the audience doesn't care about the MacGuffin at all as much as as executives might as they try to make sense of the story. Um you know, like like David O. Selznick did with with Notorious. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about or don't remember what I'm talking about, go back and listen to that episode. The audience doesn't care. If you handle it right, the audience won't get the MacGuffin confused with the story. They, they will clearly understand, look, the MacGuffin doesn't matter. All I care about is this character. And it's done so well in North by Northwest that, quite frankly, when I started reading some of these interviews and Hitch talks about the MacGuffin in North by Northwest. I was like, what is he talking about? What MacGuffin? There's no MacGuffin in that movie. Because I've seen this, I've probably seen this movie about half a dozen times and the MacGuffin is so insignificant. It doesn't leave any impact on you. And the reason is that they wait until the movie is two thirds or three quarters done or movies mostly over. And then they tell you what it is in, uh, Hitch's interview with Charles Thomas Samuels, also in the book Hitchcock Interviews, he says, and I quote, when Cary Grant asks Leo G. Carroll what James Mason is after, Carroll says, let's say he's an importer-exporter. Cary Grant asks, what of? Leo G. Carroll, government secrets. And that was it. That's all the audience is ever really told about the MacGuffin. You don't even really see it except in one shot. Just, he's an importer-exporter of government secrets. That's it. That's the MacGuffin. Some government secret, you don't even know what, is on some microfilm that you later find out is in a clay or, or like some antique something or other. I don't even know what it was. And that's it. That's all it is. It's given almost no bearing or no significance in the way the story is told visually. It's given almost no significance in the dialogue. The, it, it, it's insignificant. It doesn't matter. And Hitch was very proud of himself for being able to reduce the MacGuffin to just that. Just three lines, a couple shots here and there, and a couple, you know, pieces of dialogue later. That's it. No specifics. Doesn't matter. And it certainly didn't impact the, the success of this film. It was one of Hitchcock's biggest moneymakers. Uh, definitely one of his biggest box office returns of all time. And on the MacGuffin, he says, it's the excitement of the chase that counts. It doesn't matter what they're chasing after. If you can make the chase exciting, it doesn't matter. It could be anything. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is North by Northwest. I'm sorry, I almost shorted you um, that little bit of, of wonderful information on the MacGuffin. Just as a brief historical note, um, Hitchcock convinced MGM to license Paramount's VistaVision process for this film. This is his last VistaVision film. Um, and it's beautiful, of course. Go get it on Blu-ray um, if you don't already. It is uh, the the restoration's phenomenal. It looks incredible um, and sounds great. Yeah, that's all I have uh, on this. Thankfully, we got a few more minutes out of that episode. I'm very happy about that. Um, if you would like to reach out to me or to the show for any reason at all, questions, comments, concerns, um, you can reach 
us at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. My name is Taylor Bickle. I've realized lately that um, it's been several episodes since you guys heard my name, but since most of you actually know who I am because only my friends listen to this, who cares? Um, but yes, I am Taylor Bickle, and you can reach us at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. Uh, we are also on Facebook, uh, just Hitchcock University is a page there. Uh, we have Hitch underscore U. Yeah, please, I, I would love to hear how this show is going and how, um, you know, if, do you like it? Do you not like it? I'll, I'll, I'll take anything at this point, any kind of feedback. Um, so if you wouldn't mind uh, leaving a rating or a, or a review at um, on iTunes podcast, Apple podcast, whatever they're called now, um, Tune in, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, wherever it is you listen to the show. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us here and for attending Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Uh, We'll hold class again in two weeks. Thank you.